Brothers and sisters in Christ, I've been thinking about aging and about getting older quite considerably in the last little while, and I'm not totally sure why. Maybe it has to do with the fact that in my council report of last month, I made it known that four years from now, only four years, that's a fewer years than I've already been here, I'm eligible for retirement with full pension, and I wanted them to know that. <laughs> Maybe it has to do with the fact that, unlike uh, like many of you, both my wife and I are dealing with the reality of an aging parent. Maybe it has to do with that list of birthdays and anniversaries that I see in the bulletin virtually every week and my awareness that some of the people listed there in the bulletin are in their upper 80s and early 90s. I don't know, I'm thinking about getting older. Maybe it has to do with sometimes feeling overwhelmed by the constant changes in technology, which I don't always find as easy to adapt to as those who are younger. Maybe it has to do with the fact that many of my colleagues are now much younger than I am, whereas they used to be a whole lot older. Maybe my thinking about getting older has to do with the fact that I'm increasingly eligible for seniors discount. I may be old, but sometimes I wonder, am I that old? Imagine qualifying for seniors discount. That means I'm a senior. Since I'm a senior, perhaps it was me that was chosen to preach on this particular text. <laughs> Pastor John. Maybe it was the assignment of this text that allowed me, that got my mind thinking about aging. I don't know. But getting older is on my mind lately, and therefore I'm grateful about the incredible honesty of this psalm. For in our text for this morning, verses, well, the whole psalm, but particularly verses 19 and 9 and 18, we have, as it were, the prayer of an aged believer, a very real prayer. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me, O God, when my strength is gone. And then verse 18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me. Thinking about getting older and getting older, which is something, by the way, that all of us are going to experience, whether you want to deny that or not, reminds me of the time when someone told me quite outright that, you know, getting older is not for wimps. And indeed, some of you know that a whole lot better than I do for a number of folks as one gets older, walk. Uh, for a number of folks, as they get older, walking doesn't work as well as before. And that's in a time in life when we may need to invest in such things as canes or walkers or buggies or wheelchairs. For many, hearing aids are needed and sometimes they don't work as well as we wish they would. As one ages, often there are issues with sight, cataracts and, and all the rest. Our mind doesn't seem to remember things all that well anymore. Even the names of people that we have known well escape us. 
we end up, yes we do, we end up telling the same story over and over again. We repeat ourselves. Our motor skills are not like they used to be. We don't sleep as well and we need that bathroom more often. The body becomes more susceptible to disease and so forth. The days are long. The issues of where we are going to live when we're not able to care for ourselves anymore are, are very real. Going out at night is no longer something that's relished. There are evenings in this winter and every winter when I go, oh, I have to go to another meeting, I have to go out again. Travel becomes less and less. We become less and less independent as driver's licenses are turned in and we become increasingly dependent on others. And for many of us, that increasing dependence and that diminished independence is oh so hard to take. Loneliness sets in as partners or as peers die or grow too feeble to travel or spend much time visiting anymore. And then there is that ever-present issue of the end of one's life. It will come eventually. And everyone who is older lives with that reality, whether they want to say so or not. A man uh, by the name of R.M. Cornelius in the Rotarian gave this description of the seven ages of man, and some of you may have heard this before. The seven ages of man, six weeks, all systems go. Six years, all systems no. Sixteen years. All systems, no, K-N-O-W. 26 years, all systems glow. 36 years, all systems, oh. 56 years, all systems, status quo. 76 years, all systems, slow. Somebody else captures our imagination with this summary of the seven ages of man. I just love this one. Spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, wills. <laughs> How's that one? Spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, wills. By the way, this is on your stuff for the community care groups tonight as well. These these things so they're there written for you and you can talk about them and reflect on them as to how true they are or not. Ah yes, getting older. In reality perhaps it's not as great as some would suggest. Some have labeled, you know, those older years as the golden age, the golden years, and others have suggested, I can't imagine what's so possibly gold about those years. However, perhaps even worse than all these sorts of physical realities is the idea that when one gets older, they're no longer needed. Some youth have that issue. We're no longer, you know, we're not really needed anywhere, but older people have that issue too. And I suspect that worse than all the physical ailments or the realities is the idea that once you are old, you're disposed of. 
Once you are old, people don't seem to visit as often. Peers can't seem to make it because, as mentioned, driving at night or driving at all becomes a challenge. Besides peers no longer visiting, it would seem all too often that family no longer visits either. That family no longer seems to have a place for the older members. I have known and I have seen all too many lonely elderly people who feel like they are throwaway people, disposable. As one writer put it, quote, they are tolerated at best, forgotten at worst, and unquestionably bypassed in the fast track of mainstream society. And perhaps later on in your community care groups meetings and your discussions, uh, you, can, you can talk about all of that and see if it's indeed true. And maybe you can get some older folks in your particular care group to share with you honestly what it's like to get old. It's not something that we can simply dismiss since all of us are getting older by the day, whether we like that or not. Anyway, Ronald Yates, who wrote an article for the Chicago Tribune, recalled an interview that he had with a 76-year-old former gardener in a tiny Tokyo apartment. And if you know anything about Japanese culture, you will know that historically the older members of that culture are revered, but even that is changing. I don't like this new Japan, the gardener said. It's a lonely, cold place. Everything is electronic, nothing human. Even my two daughters are more concerned with their kitchen appliances than with their father, unquote. Now that's a little bit of an older quote. Perhaps the kitchen appliances can be substituted for iPhones or other electronic devices or computer games or, or whatever. How many in our society, how many in this congregation are able to identify with that particular statement? I hate to say it, but I suspect that there's quite a number. Life seems in our culture, in our society, to be for the young, for those who are with it, for those who are able to travel, for those who are able to keep up. As for the elderly, as for those unable to get around, as for those unable to keep things straight in their mind, as for those who are feeble or blind or deaf or unable to understand technology, or as for those who have difficulties keeping up with the changes all around them, even in the church, they're often left behind as well, you know, unimportant. They can't keep up, too bad, kind of survival of the fittest. And those who are older often have the idea that they're simply unimportant, their opinions don't matter much anymore. There are those who are older who have the idea that they've been put out to pasture, and that must be a terrible and a distressing feeling. It seems that David, considered the writer of this psalm, was having some struggles with getting older. It's thought that David wrote the psalm amidst the struggles he had with Absalom, his own son, who made an actual move to remove the throne from King David. Absalom attended, at, attempted a coup, and he was almost successful. He even got his father, he even got the king on the run for protection. 
The biblical record in the Old Testament is that the coup failed. And you may remember Absalom died in the attempt. David was devastated not only by the attempted coup on the part of his own son, but he was also devastated by the death of his son Absalom. He wept bitterly upon hearing the news of Absalom's death. And as David thinks about his broken relationship with his son and with other children for that matter, Absalom wasn't the only one, David must have been struck by how easy it was for someone to be forsaken and to be left alone. Not wanted by his children, seemingly not wanted by the people of Israel, many had sided with Absalom. It didn't take long for David, robust King David, to worry that perhaps the Lord might desert him too. The thought was perhaps since the younger generation didn't need him, perhaps God didn't need him anymore either. And that was the thought that seemed to well up with inside the king. Over the years, and the, and the Lord in many ways had, had used him to save Israel from Saul's unbelief, to defeat the Philistines and many other enemies, including his victory over the giant Goliath. But now, as the golden years, so to speak, were upon him, he began to wonder about that continued presence of the Lord. There were those who were trying to get rid of him. Would God still want him? Would God still need him? He recalls how the Lord has been his strength when attacked and faced by many an enemy in verses 1 through 4. And he asks that the Lord would continue to sustain him as enemies try to harm him, verse 4. He remembers how the Lord in verses 5 and following, he remembers how the Lord was his strength when he was young and when he was with the sheep. Now that he's older, perhaps in his 60s, the sad reality of the writer's life is that enemies are still pursuing him, and, and David was tired. After all those years in which the Lord had helped him, David couldn't help but wonder out loud if perhaps the Lord was tired of it all now, too. David wasn't tired of the Lord, but his fear was that perhaps the Lord now might be tired of David. He had helped him out for so many years, now he's on his own. Finally, and perhaps even servants may leave someone alone when they can no longer provide for the family or for the younger ones, but to think that God might do the same was horrifying to someone like David. And if we think about it long enough, I suspect that we're horrified by that kind of a thought as well. Verse 9, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Listen to David praying, don't throw me as unaway, uh, as unimportant, don't, don't throw me away as unimportant, Lord. Lord, don't do that, please. You have been my dwelling place. You have been my hope since I was a boy. Don't leave me now. Verse 11, others are telling me that you, O Lord, have deserted me and therefore they can attack me. But Lord, bear with me. I may not be able to fight like when I was young. 
My mind may not work as well. I may not be able to care for the sheep like I once did. But Lord, don't leave me now. That prayer, prayer can be that real. Prayer can be that personal. Prayer can be that powerful. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, to be forsaken by God is the worst of all conceivable ills. To be forsaken by God is the worst of all conceivable ills. So think of that. We're in the midst of the Lenten season. So think of the horror expressed and experienced by Jesus on our behalf as he hung on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, don't leave me now. Why did you go away? Why am I all alone? God, why have you forsaken me? To be forsaken by God, said Spurgeon, is the worst of all conceivable ills. Indeed, it is hell. Again in verse 18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God. That's a real, real fear. Others seem to forsake us when we get older. Others seem to suggest that we are of less value than before. And that's a terrible reality that the younger generation may not allow to happen after all, the younger generation of today is the older generation of tomorrow, and there's nothing we can do about that. Lord, don't leave me now. Don't forsake me now that I'm old. Don't throw me on the scrap heap. These psalms always come with some reality, but then they always come with hope. That's the nature of the psalm. They always come with hope. For in the light of David's prayer, remember what Jesus said. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, in Matthew 28. And indeed, he is. That's his promise, the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew. So while we may feel abandoned and left behind and all the rest, and while the fears may be very real, and they are, the reality is that no matter what we experience, He, our Lord, our King, our Savior, will not allow anything to separate us from His love in Christ Jesus. Let me quote from Spurgeon again. He says, there is something touching in the sight of white, of hair whitened with the snows of many a winter. The old and faithful soldier receives consideration from his king. The venerable servant is beloved by his master. Nothing shall make God forsake those who have not forsaken him. Our fear is lest he should do so, but his promise kisses that fear into silence. 
And then did you notice verse 18? Did you notice how verse 18 ends? Till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. It almost seems like the writer is saying that God can desert him. That's okay. You may desert me, but only once I have told the next generation about the Lord. Now, I'm not sure that's how we ought to interpret that, but nonetheless, it seems that the writer had experienced the power and the guidance of the Lord all of his life. He testifies to that. And now it is, it is his deepest desire, in spite of what he is experiencing as he's getting older, in spite of the fact that it feels like everybody's deserting him and God as well, nonetheless, he wants to tell the next generation what's happened in his life. He wants to leave a legacy. He wants the next generation to walk in faith as well so that when they come to the point that they're also filled with fear of God's abandonment, that they will know differently. And so he considered the work of the Lord in his life and he considered the work of the Lord in history of such significance and of such reality that he wants the next generation to know so too. Spurgeon wrote, he thought the Lord's power to be so worthy of praise that he would make the ages ring with all time, with it till time should be no more. So as someone who is deemed by our society as old, because I, you know, I get senior benefits, so I'm, I'm old, I'm a senior. Let me say to you, boys and girls, to you young people, and to you 30s, young adults, and to you 30-somethings, and 40-something, and 50-something, those of you who are so much younger than I am, I want you to know about the one who is our refuge and our strength. I want you to know about Jesus, and I want you to know about the promises that he has made to you in your baptism, and I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is very real and very true, and that all his promises are real and true, and the Bible is for real. I want you to understand that there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. I want you to know and to understand that there is no other rock upon which you can place your life other than the solid rock of Jesus Christ. All the rest is sinking sand. I want you to know and I want you to experience the incredible covenantal embrace of our Lord and our Savior and our King. I'm speaking for the older generation, to the younger generation. And I hope that the day will come when there's a, who is someone who is now a three-year-old, stands up here, they'll be older then, and they're speaking to the next generation and they're saying, I want you to know all about the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no other rock. And I want you to know how he has led my life and how he has led God's people 
to the day when all things will be made new. Psalm 71 presents some very real fears on the part of the writer. And to have those fears, that's okay. That's very human. When you get older, you do have fears. When you're young, you have fears too. But when you're older, you have all kinds of fears. And we hear and feel the pain of the writer's struggle, a struggle that doesn't really seem to leave the writer. And yet there is hope. Verse 20 and 21. For though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up, you will increase my honor, and you will comfort me once again. And of course, all of that is done through the work of Jesus Christ, who died and who rose again from the dead. And because of this hope, and because of this faith, the writer can sing praises to the Lord in verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I, whom you have redeemed. What a gospel. What a promise. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we'll admit it, it's really tough sometimes to get old. Many of us don't care for that aging process because it makes us weak and vulnerable. It makes us forgetful. It doesn't allow us to do things like we used to do them. And we wonder, Lord, sometimes, are you going to leave us too? Abide with us, O Lord, all of us, young and old alike. Help us to see the plan of salvation. Help us to see you for who you are. And we pray, O Lord, that as older members of this congregation, we may pass along to the younger members something of what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. Help us to be open about those discussions. Because we want the younger generation, O oh Lord, to know it so much better than we did and to live it so much better than we did. And we pray, Lord, that through it all, we might grow in our relationships with each other and also with you. Thank you for your word, which allows us to be so honest. And for your word, which gives us hope and assurance and drives us to that central gospel of Jesus Christ who is our rock, our Lord, and our King. Hear our prayer. Accept our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.